Take our Bibles this morning to the book of Psalms. We've not been here on a Sunday in a while. We've been for about a year and a half going through uh, chapter by chapter or psalm by psalm uh, on Wednesday nights. And so several months ago we looked at this particular psalm. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not giving that survey message tonight or this morning, but we are going to uh, read the psalm in its entirety, all 12 verses, but really... Uh, our thought this morning will come from verse number seven uh, as we enter this, this Thanksgiving season of the year. And so if you found your place there, we'll begin Psalm 26 uh, and verse number one. The Bible says, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins in my heart. For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers, and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving, and tell of all thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house. And the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and their, and their right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity. Redeem me, and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place. In the congregations will I bless the Lord. And I want to speak this morning on the thought, the importance of having a thankful spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, open your word, may we open our hearts. Lord, may you meet with us, speak to us, or guide us to you as we search for you this morning in each one in our own lives. I pray that you would help us to, uh, Lord, turn our attention to you. I know that life is heavy, uh, that the week has been busy, uh, but Lord, may we get our attention now on your word and may you focus in on our hearts. In Jesus' name, and amen. You know, one thing that, that is generally true is that most people don't like or enjoy being around an ingrate. It just makes life difficult. Uh, whenever you get around folks, you want to be around people that are pleasant to be with. I know that my, uh, and the older I get, my wife tells me the worse I get. Uh, I just, I'm getting to be that grumpy, cranky old man. Uh, not really, well, she does tell me that sometimes, but for the most part, she doesn't, but but it's true, uh, and so we tend to just get frustrated with the things going around us. And about the time I think I'm making progress and get over and I drive somewhere. And I'm reminded uh, of the cranky nature of my spirit as I get older. Uh, and so, but, you know, if, and when I'm in a position uh, where I'm around people that we do a lot for, we've done a lot for, and there is uh, a sense of entitlement and a lack of uh, of gratitude, it's frustrating. It, it kind of sucks the joy out of the atmosphere of a room. And, uh, and so I, I really want to just kind of give some thought about that this morning uh, because we, as God's people, ought not be that way. Uh, and we, we are, for whatever problems we're dealing with this morning, we are highly blessed of the Lord. And we have much to stop and to thank Him and reflect Him for. I'm not saying that uh, that we don't have problems. I can look around the room this morning uh, and I know that many of you are dealing with very difficult circumstances in life. Uh, some of you have lost your job. Some of you are dealing with, uh, with medical issues. Some are 
uh, with families that are dealing with terminal disease that uh, is hastening. Uh, and so we have all kinds of different things represented in our room. Some, uh, it, it's just hard. Life is hard. I understand that. But as hard as it is, God is good. Amen. And the Lord blesses us and cares for us. And we come now to a time of the year when we really, uh, just as a culture, reflect on that. I know that uh, the, the general culture is wanting to minimize the reality of where Thanksgiving came from and what it represents and uh, trying to villainize, demonize those that established our country and, uh, and brought those things forth. And, and I'm not, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit, but I'm not going to focus heavily on that. Not too concerned about what's going on in this message out there. I'm worried about what's going on here. Uh, and so I want to be mindful that the Lord keeps me with a spirit uh, that's, that's grateful. I want to be a grateful, thankful person uh, for relationships in my life, for, uh, for friends in my life, for God's people, for our church, for how God ministers to his people, even whenever they're going through difficult times. In this particular psalm, David does not give us the, the specifics of what's going on. In other words, he doesn't, he doesn't tell us with certainty exactly what the backdrop of this psalm is. That's not unusual. Uh, and so, a matter of fact, as you go through and you study, you find out that more often than not, though the commentators like to speculate and make decisions about what he was talking about, most of the time, many of the times, we just don't know for certain because he doesn't tell us. That psalm, this psalm is that way. Uh, and so, the, the, the primary thought process is that this is written after he brings the ark back that's been, that, that was taken before Saul was king by the Philistines and it's been brought back and he's brought that back. Or uh, at one point they were going through a famine that was because of what Saul had done while he was reigning uh, and that had been resolved. Those are the two primary thoughts. What is clear is this, that whatever was going on in David's life, that at this particular point, he was in a good place spiritually. He was in a time in his life when he was not uh, in the valley going through extreme hardship, but he was coming out of it or he was on top of the mountain enjoying and rejoicing. And so just a few things that are worthy to point out this morning uh, when he says, I have walked in my integrity. He's simply stating, I'm honest with God and myself about who I am and where I am. You know, one of the great difficulties and getting anywhere in my relationship with God is being honest enough with myself about where I am. We tend to think of ourselves as better than we actually are. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not in, in the point of this trying to say that we're all sinners and we're all depraved. We are, but, but we also uh, you know, shouldn't just be self-debasing. We are created of God. Uh, we are loved of God. He created us for a purpose. He created us with value. He called us to serve him, which means he's given us ability. Uh, and we don't have to go through life devaluing that so that we, that we feel like we're being humble. Now, I'm not advocating, you know, puffing ourselves up. But the reality is, is that God gave us talents and abilities. God gave us things that we can do to serve him. God uh, gave us ways. Don't, don't hide from that. Don't be ashamed of that. Relish that. Thrive on that. Build that. Let God develop that in our lives. And essentially, David's saying, I've walked in my integrity. And he's just saying, God, I, I've learned 
my strengths and my weaknesses, what you've given me and what you haven't. And I'm honest with myself about where I am and what I need and when I've got problems uh, and when I'm defeated, when I, when I mess up and I come back for forgiveness. And I'm honest with you. If I'm not honest with God and if I'm not honest with myself, I'm never really going to make any headway in my spiritual life and in my walk with God. He goes on and he says, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins in my heart. In other words, what he's saying here is, God, show me if I'm wrong. Where I think more of myself than, I'm should, than I should, show me that so that I can correct my thinking. If, I'm, if I am down on myself when I shouldn't be, show me that so that I can be lifted up and get over that and I can enjoy serving you in my relationship with you. Uh, and then he says, for your loving this is before mine eyes. I have walked in thy truth. And, and so here's the deal. He is walking with the loving kindness and the goodness of God in his eyes. Wherever he is, if he's going through hardship, he sees God's goodness. If he's dealing with disease, he sees God's goodness. If he's under attack, what's before him is God's goodness. He's not saying that he doesn't have to stop and fight the battle or that he doesn't have to deal with the problem. Or that he doesn't have to uh, address an issue. What he's saying is, is that that is not going to define who I am and where I am in life. Because what I see ahead of me, regardless of where I am, is God. And his word, his truth, uh, and what God has given me. Uh, and he says, I've not sat with vain persons. Vain simply means empty, valueless uh, I'm not spending time with people that add no value to my spiritual life. doesn't mean that he's unkind. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have conversations. It doesn't mean uh, that he doesn't invest where it's warranted. What he's saying is my, my, most of my time is not going to be wasted on those that are either tearing down my walk with God, devaluing my walk with God, or drawing my attention away from my relationship with God. And I'm, again, I'm not saying this morning that we have to walk around uh, that, you know, all pious and, uh, and, and acting like God's the only thing that we ever think of. Uh, and so I'll be checking football scores this afternoon just like you, uh, even though the game I really want to see is not going to be televised because uh, the local team is on. Uh, at the same time. And so uh, that's it, it, a problem. It needs to be addressed. I don't know what's wrong with these TV stations. Uh, and so uh, anyway, let's get off of, of that pet peeve. Uh, and so, uh, but the truth is, is that we, we live normal lives. God wants us to live normal lives. God doesn't want us to go in and interact with our neighbors and our neighbors look at us and think, uh, you know, that, that guy is, uh, you know, not a real person. They're not genuine. They're not authentic. If we're anything, we ought to be authentic. And that's what David really is putting out here is the authenticity of his walk with God. He says, I've hated the congregation of evildoers. Those that attack my God, that tear down uh, the truth and that tear down God's values. Uh, I've hated that crowd. I, I, don't, I don't sit down with them. I will not sit with the wicked. He says, I'll wash my hands in innocence. I will compass thine altar. I'm going to be around the altar of God, my, my time of worship with God. We all ought to spend time in worship of God every day. Not saying we come to a church service every day, but I'm saying we all ought to spend time with the Lord personally, individually, every day. 
He says, Lord, I've loved, uh, I've loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. I love being with God's people. I love being isolated and the ability to come out from the world and to just uh, coalesce around people that are like-minded and have a heart for the Lord and want to, uh, to, to learn the truths of God's word. He says, gather not my soul with sinners nor my life with bloody men in whose hands is mischief and their right hand is full of bribes. They keep me away from the corrupt. As for me, I will walk in mine integrity. Redeem me, be merciful for me. Notice where he stands. My foot standeth in an even place. What that means is, and it's hard for us to understand around here, because in our, in our, the geography of the area in which we live, everywhere that you go, your feet are on an even place. Uh, go to the mountains somewhere, east, west, doesn't matter. Where, where, there, where you're up, where you're down, where it's hard to get balance sometimes because uh, the, the, the steepness of the terrain. Uh, and David is in that kind of an environment often. And he's saying, my feet are on an even place. I don't have one up here and one down here. I'm not struggling to keep my balance. I'm in an even place. I'm on solid footing. I am stable in my life. And listen, come what may, our goal is that our Christian lives bring us to the point where our walk with God brings us to the point that when tragedy strikes, when uncertainty strikes, it doesn't knock us off our feet. It may be hard, it may be difficult, it may be heartbreaking, but it doesn't destroy who we are as God's people in our relationship with God because we're on an even place. We're, we're steady. We can, by the grace of God, absorb the tragedy and the difficulty. And God gives grace to see us through those times if we'll receive it. That's the message that David is conveying. And what makes that possible, what brings that to fruition in verse 7, when he says, I'm going to spend time in your altar that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. I, can, I, I don't want to be that person that goes around telling everybody all of my problems with every breath and never able to speak of the good things that God uh, has brought or has given me in my life. And so to publish that with a thankful spirit. You know, we look and David says, judge me, O Lord. We see, examine me, O Lord. And, and David is coming to God here from a spirit in which he's coming with a pure heart. He's not defiled. He's not contaminated. He at times was. But in this case, as he comes... His heart is pure. His life has been purged of sin. And it's not saying that he had no sin. I'm saying whenever he was in sin, he acknowledged that with God. He made those things right with God. He came and had purpose in his life. And he came and he had a, 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 a passion for serving God. And those things that David has ought to be the things that are descriptive of every believer. All of us ought to be walking in purity. If we have sin in our life, when the Holy Spirit calls that to our attention, we ought to be making that right with the Lord. Not on Sunday, but in the moment that the Holy Spirit makes, it, uh, makes us aware of it. Uh, we ought to be uh, a people that are constantly asking the Lord and working to help purge our lives of sin. That we might have a more pure testimony and that people that see us and that are watching us might look at us and be drawn and pointed to Christ instead of being repelled from Him. Uh, we all ought to have purpose. Every believer should have purpose in their life. 
They ought to have purpose and direction in what God wants them to do. And every one of us ought to be passionate about loving God and serving God and worshiping God and, uh, and sharing our faith. And so when we look at that and we take it into consider, he says, I want to publish with a voice of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, by definition, a simple definition, is the act of rendering thanks or expressing gratitude for favors and mercies. And so when you look at that and it's this, God, you've granted me blessing, but at times you've also given me mercy, I want to express gratitude to that. 400 years ago, <coughs> 402 years ago, uh, there were a group of people, the Puritans uh, in Europe, who were being persecuted. And they were looking for a way in which they could, uh, they could serve God without persecution. And so they began to gather up and they assembled the group in uh, Plymouth, England in, in September of 1620. They boarded 102 people, uh, 102 passengers boarded the Mayflower. The Mayflower was not this pristine ship that was big and luxurious. It was very simple. Uh, there is a replica of the Mayflower that will travel around the country at times. Uh, and so, and I, we've, Sonia and I have been on it. Uh, it's not any longer than this platform uh, from, uh, from bow to stern. It's not uh, any, really, it's not much wider than the wall to the baptistry uh, to the front pew here. Uh, it's not real deep. It's got a shallow draft. Uh, it's not something that when we think of crossing the Atlantic, uh, I remember walking on it in a river and thinking, uh, this is a good sized boat to go across the river on or go up and down the river in. It's not to go across an ocean on. Uh, and so they got on this vessel. It was leaky. Uh, they set out in September and intended to land uh, much further south on the coast of North America than where they actually landed. Their voyage, their crossing took 66 days. They left in September. At the period of time in which they crossed in 1620, the, the, the world was going through what commonly is referred to as the Little Ice Age. It lasted about 500 years, uh, and they were kind of at the end of, uh, of that spell. They, they were coming from an area geographically that was further north than Plymouth, uh, but it was uh, in here, well, it's Plymouth, Massachusetts now, uh, and so, but but it was a much more moderate climate because of uh, the trade winds coming off of the ocean. Uh, much like you go out to, uh, to our west coast and even when it's, you get 10 miles inland and it's very hot, uh, but on the coast it's very pleasant because of the cold waters that's coming down out of the Bering Sea and the water that's coming across it. You go as far south as San Diego uh, in California and you go out into the ocean and the water's very cold there. Uh, because it's all being funneled down uh, from the Bering Sea. And so it's much that way where they came from in Europe. Uh, it was further north, but it was more moderate. And they got to uh, near Cape Cod, which is where they landed. If you go to Boston, Massachusetts today, uh, there's not much left of it because people have gone over the years and chipped away pieces of Plymouth Rock so that they could take it. Uh, so they built a big thing around it so that you can stand above it and look down into what seems to be a pit uh, but the actual original Plymouth Rock is there. It has 1620 etched on the stone where they landed. Uh, and the pilgrims arrived in November. And one of the coldest winters that, that certainly it was the coldest winter that they had ever experienced. 
immediately they were greeted by uh, some, uh, by not Squanto, he was second. There was someone else that greeted them first and surprisingly he knew English. They had learned English from some of the explorers and the fishermen that had crossed the ocean to gather cod across off of, off of Cape Cod. Uh, and so, uh, and they were greeted. And depending on what historical account you read, Squanto was enslaved by, uh, by uh, one of the fishing ships and taken to Europe. And that's where he learned English and then escaped on a voyage back. Uh, and so, but they were not of the tribe that the, that the pilgrims initially settled with. In the year 1616 to 1619, because of the fishermen coming, many of the, of the, of the tribes in that area, of the Native American tribes, uh, it's, it's estimated that they were decimated by as much as 90% of their population because of the disease that they had no immunity to that they were exposed to by because of the European arrival. And so they're hurting, and, but there are a few that know the language. And the Puritans land. And as the Puritans land in that cold winter, they began to pull resources and build the structure. Many of them spent the winter on the ship, still, still located there. But by March, 52 of 102 were all that remained alive. And so they got through that year. We know most of what we know about the original Thanksgiving because of a Puritan by the name of Edward Winslow. Edward Winslow is the only one of that group that we actually have a picture of. He went back to England uh, in, the, in the 1650s and sat for a portrait. He wrote a letter. He was the only one that thought while they were going through this process to write down and document and send back to family members what had taken place and, the, and in fact, about the events of that first Thanksgiving that was celebrated there. Uh, and so as they sent it, his wife was one of the first to succumb to the elements and the scurvy of that winter and to die. In May, he married a woman who lost her husband to the elements as well. And they stayed there. In November of that year, they finally brought in their first harvest as they had been taught by the natives to plant the corn and to bring it uh, about. And there were 52 pilgrims that were there. There were over 90, of, including the chief of the tribe that helped them through that winter. And they pooled their resources. They went out and, and went and, uh, and hunted the fowl. Uh, it wasn't until uh, the writings of others many years later that we got the idea that a lot of it was turkey. And then the Indians went out uh, and killed five deer and brought them in uh, to the feast. And that was essentially their first Thanksgiving feast. And it lasted for three days. We still celebrate that in some fashion today. And there was unity and there was uh, one of the few examples of, of, and they lived in peace together for uh, at least 50 years before things began to break down with one of the European wars that came and made its way across North America. They went through deprivation. They suffered from exposure to the severe cold and the elements. They lived in a way that none of us would, could even imagine living. There was no heat, there was no furnace, there was no, uh, you know, only what they could muster by fires and in one building, uh, that they managed to erect for everyone to just kind of share quarters. They uh, pulled resources to get through the winter. It was so late in the season when they landed. 
Yet they come to the end of that year with half of their people dead, mourning the loss of husbands, wives, and children. And they celebrated and gave thanks to God. And so as we enter this week, and we consider the things that are going on in the world, we consider the difficulties that we have in our own lives, we consider the heartbreak that we're enduring or that we know that's coming, we have to cope with all of the, uh, just the problems of living in the day and age in which we live. May we not succumb to the idea that we are entitled and that we deserve all of these things and because we don't have what we think we should have, we have a spirit that's angry or hostile or accusatory rather than just being grateful for God's goodness and his mercy upon our lives. The example that's set forth for those that came here that they might worship God in their own way was that in spite of the hardship and the heartbreak, they praised and they worshiped God. And so when we look here this morning, I just want to give a few thoughts and will not be long about having a thankful spirit. And I, I would say this, number one this morning, the thankful spirit invites his presence. I've heard it said all of my church-going life that God inhabits the praises of his people. And so certainly, certainly when we praise God uh, and, and we express that gratitude, it causes God uh, to welcome uh, our presence and what we have to him. We know that we can come boldly before his throne. I'm grateful for that. Psalm 95 in the first three verses says, Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. No matter where we are this morning, may we be mindful that we should realize that when we worship and we, we praise God, it invites His presence. You know, you can get around people that, if, if, especially if you've ever been in any kind of a leadership position, and it doesn't matter if it's in the workforce or if it's in the military or if it's in the church life. If you get around people that all they ever do is point out everyone's faults and complain and gripe, all you want to do is, number one, when you see them coming, you want to avoid them if you can. Number two, if you can't avoid them and you do have to engage in some kind of a dialogue, you're just thinking how quickly can, what, how can I get out of this as quickly as possible? Because it infects your spirit. It, dra it drags you down. And I'm not saying that it's not appropriate to share your burdens with a brother or sister in Christ and to help them uh, pray for you and to carry the load. But don't be defined as a person that's, that's walking around with such a spirit. There, there are some people, and I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, really. It's sad, but it's funny at the same time. You know, somebody that's newer will come around and they'll, they'll, I'll have a conversation with them and they're trying to figure out who's who. And, uh, and they'll ask, well, what about this person or that person? And what's their name? And, well, what do they do? Or, uh, and I'm trying to figure out sometimes which one are they talking about? And, you know, the grumpy, the grumpy old guy that sits over there, the, uh, the rude person that's over there, or the person that was really kind to me uh, and that greeted me and that welcomed me. 
uh, and you know, the person that told me I was sitting in their seat and told me to move. And I praise the Lord, I think I pretty much killed that problem in the church with God's help. Uh, but that, you know, years ago, that was a problem. Uh, and so, uh, you know, when, when, you, when we go through that, we, we want to be mindful. I want to be mindful. How, how am I known? How do I portray? How do I, uh, how do I interact? I, I don't want to, and it's just human nature that we focus on our trials, our problems. We get overwhelmed with them. They, they consume us. I'm guilty. You know, I go through things at times and it's just like the, I, I struggle to, to be where I want to be because I can't get free of this thing that's dragging me down. Uh, and so I want to be mindful of that. That's where David says he walked in his integrity. Well, why is that important? Because if I'm not mindful, I could never address it. If I'm not willing to look deeply, I'm never able to grow beyond where I am. A thankful spirit invites his presence. I want to be thankful this morning. Say, Pastor, if you had my life, you wouldn't be thankful. Be thankful for salvation. Whatever you're going through, whatever your problems are, whatever your ailment is, you were born in sin. Jesus found you. If you've trusted him as your savior, you have eternal life. And this soon will pass. The ailment that you have when you come into his presence will be gone. You know, when I, I look forward to, I don't know how, how long I'll live or how far I'll decline before I get to heaven. But I already can look forward to the fact that when I get to heaven, I'll have some hair. I won't need my glasses. I can throw away my hearing aids. Uh, it's half of you probably realize I've been wearing hearing aids for several months now. But, uh, but I, you know, I won't need all of those things. My wife did. The first day I came home with them, she looked at me and she said, you're not yelling at me anymore. Uh, and, then, and some of you know, when I have you so conditioned to yell at me, Brother Trevon still yells at me every day. Uh, and so I, I want to look at them sometimes they walk in the office. I want to say, why are you yelling at me? Uh, so I can hear now. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I can, when I get to heaven, that won't be a problem. I won't, I won't, I mean, sometimes I, I've been, if I go out and I, I walk or do something active and I come in and I sit down, uh, and I sit down for about 30 minutes or an hour. When I stand up for about the first 15 or 20 steps, I look like I'm 90 years old walking across the room. It takes me halfway across the room to even stand up straight. That won't be a problem anymore. We've got much to be grateful for. God's goodness to us, God's grace to get us through things along the way. And when we come and uh, when we experience that, I want to be grateful for my salvation. I want to be grateful for the things that God has provided me with. Amen. I'm grateful to pastor a church that cares whether or not we eat. That's a new experience for us in ministry, the, the, the 11 years that we've been here. We've, uh, you know, served in churches for a long time that, uh, that, that really weren't too concerned about whether or not our, our, our you know, for 10 years when we pastored in Arkansas, it was always a, a journey every, from week to week to whether we would even get paid or not. I'm I'm grateful. Uh, that our church cares for our needs, provides for those needs. We, we enjoy more now than either one of us ever grew up with. And we look often at each other and are just amazed and grateful at what God has provided us with. And say, Pastor, you have everything that you want? None of us will ever have everything we want. But we have everything we need. You know, and, and God provides. 
Now I can, I can, you know, I could sit back and I could fuss about the fact that, you know, my old truck's got 290,000 miles on it uh, and it's all keyed up. Not real sure that some of it didn't get keyed here in the church parking lot. Uh, and so, uh, you know, but it, it's got all dinged and scratched and, you know, the seats are wearing out and starting to rip. I can, I can fuss about that or I can rejoice and praise God that, you know, last in October when we, we drove 1,200 miles to, to meet our newest grandchild, uh, it ran like a top. And it just keeps going. And we just keep rejoicing that it does. And I will continue, even though my wife's car is, is just three years old, uh, for me to get in and out of that is quite an experiment. Uh, it's a little Ford EcoSport, so it's like it could, it could fit in the bed of my truck. Uh, and so uh, it, it's, it's difficult. Uh, and so, but, you know, we just want to rejoice and reflect. We all have things in our life that we could say, yeah, in a perfect world, I'd like to have this. And we can so get fixated on that that we miss the blessing of what God's given us. I'm grateful this morning. We have, we have a place to worship the Lord. Does it need improvements? Certainly it does. The parking lots need attention. The outside facade of the building needs attention. We're working on that. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of things that it needs, but you know what? We can rejoice that we have a nice, beautiful, comfortable place when we come inside to worship the Lord, and it's all paid for. God is has richly blessed us. We, you know, there are some parts of the world where we'd be meeting in houses hoping that the government wasn't spying on us and putting us in jail for it, or uh, we would be out under a tree somewhere because that's the best shelter that we could find to come together and worship the Lord for. We have much to be grateful for. I want to be thankful for God's provision. I know I complain at the grocery store just like you do. It's, it, you know, but we're, we're, we're watching and we're waiting. A couple of years ago, we went... Uh, to buy our turkey and I wanted to get ahead of it. I didn't want to be worried about it and uh, I bought the turkey and and I paid like a dollar and 68 cents a pound and I didn't think much about it and uh, and then like two weeks later it was nine, the same turkey was 98 cents a pound. I'm like what in the world? <laughs> so since then we've been waiting uh, and then the other day I went and I said they're not going to drop it that low this year. They're just not going to. Uh, I said it's just it's not coming down and it, and it hasn't. And then, uh, and then so I went and I said, you know, I'm getting the turkey today. Uh, and she said, well, we don't get paid till Thursday. And I said, we'll figure it out. And so we'll be fine. I bet I'm getting that turkey. I don't want to worry about it. And so I got it. She went to the store the next week and they didn't have a single one of the kind that we like. They did again today or yesterday, but the price hasn't gone down. I'm just going to have to worry about it. But God provides. I'm grateful for the provision that God has given us. A thankful spirit invites his presence. We're created in his image, which means that at our best, we have the same tendencies and desires that God has. What do we enjoy? We enjoy people that express gratitude. We, en we enjoy people that are appreciative. We enjoy people that are, have some joy. We appreciate somebody that can endure difficulty but still have joy. You know, it's one of the great things about Miss B is that for the couple of years that the Lord's allowed her to be a part of our church battling pancreatic cancer, she never complains. I'll ask her and she'll just say, I'm fine. And then I'll ask her how she's really doing and she'll tell me if she's hurting or if she's dealing with this or she's dealing with that. But she just has a joy. 
And you'll find her if she's able to be here. And she'll gravitate to some of the teenage girls that ride the vans that have parents that don't come, in some cases are locked up, or uh, the only love that they ever get is whenever a, a, one of the workers goes to see them on a Saturday, or whenever someone like Miss B will gravitate and find them and go to them during the service and put their arm around them and love on them and uh, assure them of that love. I, I appreciate I want to be around those kind of people because those kind of people may make me want to be more like my Savior. But I get around others and it's just like, get me out of here, Lord, get me out of here. <laughs> and I'm praying that I'm not the one that, that, that's looking up to heaven saying, Lord, get me out of here whenever they come around me. So be grateful. A thankful spirit invites his presence. Secondly, a thankful spirit involves his people. I can't have a grateful spirit to the Lord for what he's done for me and not want to be around God's people. A thankful spirit invites his people. Just a couple of thoughts about this. First of all, as we've already been talking about, people want to be around encouragers. Uh, it was, uh, brings me a lot of joy. You know, Lupe met Brother Terry in a parking lot six months ago at HEB. Somehow, God in his grace allowed for Lupe to actually understand what Brother Terry said to him. And he gave him a track and he came to church. And because of his influence, we have people visit our church frequently. Tony's back here because of the testimony of Lupe. Tony brought a friend with him today. Gio and Joni are back here with their precious little girls in the, in the children's church. Drove all the way from Pearland. Go home in the afternoon and she comes all the way back on Sunday night so that she can be a part of the discipleship group. You know why? Because God laid it on Terry's heart to share a track with Lupe. He's a barber, so he's talking to people all day long. And you talk about a captive audience, and he, way he, gets, the, he gets the apron on them, and he lays them back in the chair, and then he uh, gets, gets working on them, and then, uh, and then he gets about halfway through the haircut, and then he starts giving them the gospel. They're not going anywhere with half a haircut. <laughs> That's a blessing. You know why they're willing to drive from Pearland? Now, I didn't ask them this. I'm, I'm making an assumption. Because they found a group that they can connect with on some level that are real and they're genuine, not perfect by any stretch. Because of God's goodness. They found encouragement. People want to be around encouragers. God help me to be an encourager. That would be our prayer. Not only that, people are drawn to a thankful spirit. We're just drawn to that. There's just something about genuine, authentic gratitude. Now I'm not talking about being fake. There, there's, you know, I mentioned we pastored for 10 years, and those of you that have been around, you know that, but those of you that are newer for 10 years in Arkansas before the Lord brought us here. And there was a large church in another city that was a very well-known pastor. We've known him since we were in Bible college years ago. Uh, and and uh, a big flourishing ministry, but he was very likable. 
but the whole ministry really was built on his personality. I'm not saying that God didn't save people and that God didn't use them. I'm just saying when you met him, the moment that you met him, I mean, if I, if I came up to Pedro and, and uh, I'd never seen Pedro before, uh, and today was Miss Patty and Pedro's first Sunday uh, at Victory Baptist Church. And I mean, they just barely got their feet on the first tile uh, on the rug in the lobby. And I, he's right there. Hey, brother, what's your name? Ah, that's great. I love you, man. Love you. Love you, brother. <coughs> Some people like that. I, not me. I like authentic. I like genuine. And I'm not saying that that wasn't authentic for him. I'm just telling you how it hit me. I'm, he pastors a lot more people than I do, so he's probably right and I'm probably wrong. But the truth of the matter is, is that what people really want a sense of is authenticity. Be authentic. Just be real. You don't have to be perfect. I don't really think that anyone that's genuinely searching for God comes to a church or talks to another believer in Christ and expects them to walk on water. But it's not very authentic if you think that you do or if I feel like I have to pretend that I do to validate the message that I'm preaching. Just be real. I'm trying to be as real as possible. Uh, you know, and we need to be mindful of the fact uh, that people are drawn to authenticity. Be authentic. Hey, there are a lot of things that we're not as a church that I wish that we were. We're just not there yet. There are a lot of things that I wish that we could do in our public services that we can't do. There are a lot of things that I wish that we could do in a lot of different realms. We have uh, prayed that God will help us to, to get to that point and the right people will come here that we can, uh, that we can establish those things and that those needs can be met and that we see uh, the, the growing populations of that within the church, not so that we can be big, but so that the, the needs of people that God is drawing are met. Why does that happen? whenever we have a thankful spirit for what we have. Don't get caught lamenting what we lack. Let's just praise God for what we have. And then lastly, a thankful spirit increases my potential. A thankful spirit increases potential. That potential begins with prayer potential. Everything that's of value in our lives begins in the prayer closet. If I'm not praying... Uh, you know, great evangelists have famously said, John R. Rice one wrote a best-selling book on prayer in the, probably in the 60s or 70s. Uh, and so just a nationally best-selling book on prayer said that all of our failures are prayer failures. God wants us to engage in prayer. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice in verse four, let, in verse five, let your moderation or self-control be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Come with a grateful spirit. Colossians chapter four and verse two, he says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Our prayer potential is unleashed when we come to God with a grateful spirit. I'm not talking about not bringing our prayers, our heartaches, our burdens to the Lord. That's, that's part of what prayer is for. I'm saying I can bring all of that and still have a grateful spirit. I can still be thankful that I can come boldly before his throne. Be thankful that he cares to hear about my problems. 
be thankful that he's willing to engage and, uh, and to lead me and guide me through those, those, those problems. And then the, the potential of position, positional potential. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm saying this. When it comes time, not that any of us should be position seekers, but when it comes time for God to step us up and advance us, as the, as, as the need arises and as new classes need to be established, there needs to be new people that can step up and to teach them and to lead them and to connect people. What unlocks the potential for God to use me to make a difference in the lives of others. And I would argue this morning that a lot of that potential comes from having a grateful spirit. You know what I look for whenever it's time to, to, to hire someone or to, I'm not looking for someone that's willing to fill in the gap. Now, sometimes we have to do that. I'm looking for someone that they really have a burden in a heart that that's what they think God wants them to do. I don't want to hire somebody or utilize somebody that's always complaining about every little thing. I want to, I want to hire somebody or utilize someone that's grateful for an opportunity to serve, to make a difference. Why? Because it's a precious gift from God. It's a lot of trust that, that God puts on us to walk with him and to let his faith flow through us and be sure to share with others. Where does all that come from? It comes from an attitude of gratitude. What kind of a spirit do we have this morning? And I know this morning it's not you know, your typical message that I would preach on a Sunday, but with it being the, the holiday weekend, I think it's important that we stop and that we reflect. Where am I, Lord? Am I so self-absorbed that all I can see is my problem and me? Or am I able to see your goodness and your blessing and your, your genuineness in my life? The goodness that you've bestowed. I know I've got problems. I know I've got to solve this. I know I've got to deal with that. But you've been good to me. Be grateful. It makes us so much more pleasant to be around. And it makes life so much less stressful. So, Pastor, if you just knew my burdens. If I had the liberty to go around and share the burdens that some of you have with everyone else, it would make about 80% of us hang our head in shame. Some of you have real burdens, real problems. But you're faithful and you love the Lord. And God will bless you for that. God is blessing you for that. Don't succumb to discouragement and defeat. Just rejoice and praise God for his continued blessing. Pastor, I can't see a path forward. Just stay with God and let him show you the way. Let him lead, let him guide. And no matter what comes, be grateful. Paul sang and rejoiced and praised God when he was shackled in the bottom of a prison, when he was on a ship that God had revealed to him was going to sink. Multiple times, he found himself in circumstances in which any of us would have said, if this is what the Christian life is all about and this is what God requires, I'm done, check me out. But Paul sang and rejoiced and was grateful to God. Because no matter what he endured, he did it for the glory of the cross because God called him to do it and it was his honor to serve him because he's worthy. He's worthy this morning. Now, if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, this is all, this is all new to me. 
what's, what's so important? The important thing is this. We're all sinners. Every one of us. The only difference between someone that's condemned in their sin and someone who's not is that Jesus Christ paid the price and we by faith accepted his gift of forgiveness. And when we did that, he saved our souls. We were all born condemned. Say, Pastor, I haven't done anything. All, all that we had to do to be condemned was exist. We're condemned already. Not because of us, but because the human race is condemned because of sin. But God's love for us was so great that he said, I want to buy you back to myself. I created you and you left me as a, as a race of people. But I want you back. And you can't get back to me on your own. So I'm coming to you. And he came to us. We'll celebrate that at Christmas time. And he walked among us. He died on the cross to offer atonement for our sin that God's justice might be satisfied. God's love provided the payment to satisfy his justice. And his grace and mercy extended that payment to you and to I if we'll just accept it. My friends, if you're here this morning and you are not sure whether, if you were to die today on the way home, if we start back tonight and see the life flight helicopter going across and they go to get you and it's too late, would you be in heaven? Would you be with the Lord? I don't know. If your answer to that is, I'm not sure, I have good news for you this morning. Jesus said, these things have I written unto you that ye may know that ye have eternal life. He wants you to know. And you can know. And it's not about how good you've got to be. It's about how willing you have to be to recognize that you're sinful, that you can do nothing to save yourself, but he's done everything to save you. And it's simply humbling myself before God and saying, Father, forgive me of my sin. I accept the gift of salvation. Come into my heart and be my Savior. And if that's where you are this morning, I'm, we're going to stand in just a moment. We call this an invitation. If you're new to our church this morning, we call this time a time of invitation because I'm extending an invitation for you to come, to have someone pray with you if you would like to get that kind of question answered if you need, or to just kneel and pray on your own. You don't have to confess your sins to me. That's none of my business. That's between you and God. But if you need help this morning and you're drawn to him, don't sit still. Come and get answers. So, Pastor, but I've got questions. I'll have someone take you to another room off the auditorium here. They'll take a Bible. They'll answer your questions. They'll not pressure you. They just want to help you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior that your sins are forgiven, and that you have eternal life, the, the eternal life that he's promised. If that's you this morning, don't leave without getting that settled. If you get that settled, you'll have much this Thanksgiving season to be grateful for.